This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. We're preaching a sermon series right now on the seven sayings of the cross. Jesus spoke seven times when he was on the cross. And today we're looking at the fourth saying from the cross. And to find this place, I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 27. And we're going to be looking beginning at verse number 39. Matthew chapter 27 and uh, beginning with verse number 39. So take your, your Bibles and I want you to look with me. In Matthew chapter 27, and we're talking about the words of anguish as Jesus speaks for the fourth time. In Matthew 27, beginning with verse number 39, and they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads. Can you imagine that? They're passing the cross almost like somebody would be viewing someone that had passed, but they're viewing the cross and they are uttering words of blasphemy. They're shaking their heads in disgust without question using profanities, laughing and mocking him. The scripture says, wagging their heads in verse 40 and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. See, they had no concept of what Jesus was talking about. They could only picture the big stones of Solomon's temple that were left in ruins, by the way, since A.D. 70, which they are now. When Jesus said that he would destroy the temple and raise it up in three days, listen, he's not talking about bricks and stones and mortar, which they couldn't get past. This is a mockery. And he says this, save thyself. This is what they're saying, almost in unison. If thou be the son of God, come down from the cross. Aren't you glad he didn't do that? Look at this in verse 41. Likewise, also the chief priest mocking him with the scribes and elders said, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. That was a lie. For the rich man said, Father Abraham, send Moses, send somebody to warn my brethren because if somebody from this place would go to that place and tell them that this is real, they would believe. 
And Abraham said, that's a lie. Same situation. In verse 43, he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. That was given in mockery as well. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. We've already spoke about this. Verse 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour, which was about 3 p.m. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabbatai. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so this morning, sermon number four in this series of seven sermons, we're talking about the words of anguish. Whenever we think of the cross, no doubt we think about all the horrific things that happened to Jesus. The Bible says that they tried him illegally all through the night. They scourged him with the cat of nine tails, whipping the flesh off of his back, exposing his vital organs. Isaiah the prophet said that his visage was so marred that no man would know him. He was also beaten beyond human recognition. They shoved a crown of thorns on his brow, two inches deep, penetrating flesh to bone. They put a purple robe upon him and mocked him, plucked a beard from his face. They spit on him. They led him down the Via Della Rosa, exposing himself and this brutality to the world that was around him at that time, and I can only imagine, and you can as well, the scourgement verbally that Mary, his mother, endured as well. When we think about the cross, we think about all of these horrific happenings, these barbaric things that were done to him, and we should. We should not forget an ounce of it, and if we're not careful Remembering all of these horrific things that were done to Jesus, somehow in those emotions, we may tend to forget that not only was he being subjected to human brutality, but there was also spiritual warfare going on at the same time. Because not only were there evil, wicked men conducting these exercises on the Lord Jesus, but no doubt the demons of hell, the devil himself was there with excitement as well. And so we cannot forget that while Jesus was physically suffering, he was also going through spiritual agony as well in the spiritual warfare. This morning in this particular message, I want us to think about not only the horrific things that Jesus experienced on the cross, but I want us momentarily to think about the other side of the cross, what God himself was going through. 
Not only what Jesus was being exposed to, not only what he was going through, but what his father went through as well. Keep that thought in your mind. The words that Jesus spoke the fourth time on the cross staggers our imagination. When you think about it, it seems as though some cold, dark chill penetrates to the heart of our soul when we read them. In fact, I want you to see the prophecy of this. It goes all the way back to Psalms chapter 22. And I want you to read this because it's a prophecy of this particular stage of the cross, the fourth saying on the cross. Psalms 22 is a messianic psalm. And in this scripture, it looks forward to the work of Jesus on the cross when he said this, listen now, this is a prophetic messianic psalm, Psalms 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? I want you to think about this. All the way back to the Psalms, it was prophesied that Jesus would speak these words on the cross. In one way, Jesus actually felt the horrors of hell. And I want to explain that to you. Because when Jesus was hanging on the cross in this particular stage of the cross, God the Father had turned his back on his only begotten son. You say, what does that mean? That means that momentarily the fellowship that Jesus and the Father had experienced from the very beginning for the first time, and I'll go through this in just a moment again, but for the very first time, the Father and the Son were separated. Jesus was separated from God momentarily on the cross when he cried, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? Why are you not looking at me and having compassion? Jesus was speaking from heartache, the heartache of separation. Let me tell you this. I think one of the greatest horrors of hell today is that hell is filled with millions of people who will be eternally separated from God forever. Think about that. Think about the people who are in hell today that are crying. Oh, Father God, if you would give me five more minutes, we will believe we will turn to you. But think about being eternally forsaken by God. Jesus in this fourth stage of the cross, that's exactly what was happening. He was separated from God. When he cried these words, why have you forsaken me? And as I reflect upon these pages of Scripture today that describes the final hours of the earthly ministry of Jesus, we see him as God's innocent, spotless lamb without blemish who was willing to take upon himself the sin of the entire world. We see him now hanging on the cross. We see him with the sentence of condemnation. We see the guiltless by the illegal trials six of them during the night, we now see him, according to men, guilty. 
We see the perfect one now who was persecuted. We see the faultless one now who stands accused. We see the one that was so holy and that was so pure with the weight of the sin upon his shoulders. That means this, that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, it wasn't just an event of of barbaric treatment. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was taking every curse word, every blasphemy, every lie, every thief, every immorality, every murder, every crime, every sin that you could imagine. Jesus was taking the sin of the world upon him in this hour, this moment. And in the midst of all of it, the one person whom Jesus needed the most had turned his back on him. At this moment, Jesus did not need his mother Mary. Jesus did not need John. He did not need Peter and James. At this point, Jesus did not need a restful place in the Garden of Gethsemane or by the Sea of Galilee. At this moment, at this point, Jesus needed more than anything his Father. There's no doubt that this stage of the cross hurt Jesus more than anything that man had already done to him. Compared to the nails in his hands, the crown of thorns on his brow, the nails that had securely fastened his feet to the cross, having in comparison the father turning his back on the only begotten son, Jesus no doubt looked at all of the other things compared to that as minuscule, as small things compared to the father turning his back. And when Jesus spoke for the fourth time, his words, they seemed to be so uncomprehendable. But these mysterious words, I believe, would be explained by God himself. He would not leave us wondering throughout the ages. I want you to notice again verse number 46 in this chapter, the word says, in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sakthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is something that I want to bring out and I hope that you pay very close attention and maybe you want to make a notation of this in the margin of your Bible. I think it's noteworthy. And that is this. This is the only time that Jesus prayed that he did not say, Father. I want you to notice that very carefully. When he was 12 years old, he got himself out of the caravan of Mary and Joseph. He went back to the temple and in the process of teaching the doctors and the lawyers and the scribes, when Mary and Joseph got back to where Jesus was at that temple, Jesus did not say, hey, wait a minute. I'm busy doing God's work. That's not what he said. He said, don't you know that I'm busy about my father's business? I want you to think about this just for a moment. 
When Jesus gave us the model prayer, this is what he said. He said, when you pray, you pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was praying with great perspiration, the Bible says great drops of blood began to penetrate through his flesh and trickle down his cheek. And this is what he said, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Every time Jesus prayed, he prayed, Father, Father, Father. This is the only time he prayed, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What an anguishing question he asked. And perhaps somebody in this auditorium today, you've had the heartbreak of being forsaken by someone you love. Maybe perhaps today, some of you that are watching by internet this morning, you have had the heartbreak of being forsaken maybe by a spouse Maybe you've been forsaken by a friend that you considered to be a good friend. Maybe you have been what you think is forsaken by good health. And I will say this, being forsaken in any form by anyone, anything, whether it be physically, emotionally, or spiritually, that's an anguishing thing, but I believe that a man who feels forsaken by God is the worst form of forsakenness of all. I mean, think about it. Wouldn't it be a horrible thing if we ourselves, we got ourselves in such a rotten, filthy mess where the only person we could turn to is God and we turned to him and we said, God, out of our sorrow, bondage, and shame, Jesus, I come to thee. Wouldn't it be a horrible thing if we cried unto the Lord and he wasn't there? He could not be found. We could not feel his presence. Wouldn't that be a horrible thing? I want you to think about it. It'd be a nightmare of a thought. It would be horrible if one day we needed God in agonizing desperation called out to him and he wasn't there but thank god for jeremiah 33 3 that says this call unto me and i will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not but suppose you needed god and you called to him and he didn't answer he didn't respond here's what we need to remember because for a moment that's exactly what jesus experienced Jesus had been with the Father from all of eternity past. And in this eternity past, he had been the object of affection of the Father's love. The Father's presence was his home. The Father's bosom was his. The Father's dwelling place was his. The Father's glory was his. And together they had shared everything since anything was made in the beginning, before anything was made, they had shared together everything. Nothing was ever between them from the very beginning. And during the Lord's 33 and a half years of ministry on this earth, they had enjoyed unbroken communion. 
They were never out of fellowship with one another. They were never out of harmony. And now for the very first time, Jesus is being forsaken by the Father. The fellowship is broken. And it's an interesting thing here to me when I read the story that while this is happening, there is no voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I think it's interesting that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, there was no angelic ambassadors sent to him to be an encouragement to him. I think it's sad that in this place of the cross, in the beginning, the disciples had left. You think about the abandonment he was experiencing. He was doing everything that the Father had asked him to do. He was paying the price of redemption. He was fulfilling the reason of his coming to the earth. The Bible says, listen, the reason Jesus came was not to make a name for himself or not for songwriters to great, make great songs or, or write beautiful poems. The reason he came was not to give us nativity images that we celebrate once a year. The reason he came in Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10, the Bible says, for the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. He was here doing the father's will. And in that process, he was being forsaken. But the important thing that we need to remember in this text is if in the beginning, listen to this. If in the beginning, God knew that when he created man, it would ultimately lead in his only begotten son dying on the cross. That never took God by surprise. When God picked up the dust of the ground and God spoke to God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, and he said, let us make man into our own image. He breathed the breath of life into his nostrils and the scripture says man became a living soul. Before that act happened, God knew before the foundations of the earth that ultimately when he breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils, it would put Jesus on a schedule. It would put him on a mission where he would have to die on the cross. But listen carefully. If God, which he did, I don't say that in doubt or speculation, God knew that when he created man, Jesus would have to be on a mission, but he also knew this. You think about this. When the plan of redemption that had existed before the foundation of the world, God knew that Jesus was going to experience all the horrors of hell on the cross. And if he knew that, he also knew in that moment for the very first time, he would have to turn his back on his only begotten son. Jesus taking the weight of the world on his shoulders was not an accident. It was not a surprise to God. He knew that Jesus would have to die and he knew that he would have to turn his back. But here's the thing. God was willing to put Jesus through that God was willing to go through that himself for you and me. 
that we could have eternal life and a home in heaven. I mean, in the days of old, God did not forsake his people. He was constantly giving his people the assurance of his presence. He always assured them that he was near. When the flood came on the earth, Noah could look around inside of the ark and he could see the protecting hand of God. When the children of Israel were facing the Red Sea, they saw God parting the water. In the wilderness, they saw him in a cloud by day and a fire by night. On Mount Carmel, Elijah saw God in the fire falling from heaven, in the fiery furnace they saw God listen Jesus saw the three Hebrew boys God saw the three Hebrew boys in the fire those people saw the fourth man in the fire in the lion's den Daniel saw God in the gentleness of the lion the point that I'm trying to make is this all throughout the ages God never forsook his people not only did God never forsake his people, but God has never forsaken you and I. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He never forsook his people. He has never forsaken you and I. But on the cross, Jesus was the one forsaken. Think about that. He turned his back on the Savior. When Jesus spoke these words, it was a greater cry that has ever gone up to God so again quickly now the first time he said father forgive them for they know not what they do he spoke to the thief this day today thou shalt be with me in paradise the third time he spoke to his mother woman behold thy son and now for the fourth time he cries my God why have you forsaken me what do I see in these words if you look at your bulletin today let me give you these reasons very quickly here number one we see the awfulness of sin. Jesus died because of sin. You know, it's amazing in the world we live in today that how people no longer consider sin to be sin anymore. Have you, have you ever experienced that? Have you ever seen that? It seems like every day people become more tolerant to what is sin and what the Scripture talks about that. But I will tell you this, whatever Whatever God ever considered to be sin when this book was written, whether it was in the Old Testament, whether the New Testament, over 40 different writers of Scripture, and we may not want to face the facts, those of you that are watching today, listen, this is not a politically correct statement. I don't have a politically correct Bible. This is not a politically correct preacher. I will tell you this, no matter what the world thinks today and all of this uh, kumbaya, all of this stuff, let me tell you this, whatever God called sin in that book, from the first page to the last page, he still considers it to be sin. No matter where we are in life, no matter where we are with Everything in the world today, that's the gospel truth. So I want you to understand this. And if Jesus tarries is coming for another 200 years, he will still feel the same way about that. We need to remember that though we may get used to sin and tolerate things that God has called sin, he will never change one ounce of his mind about it. God despises sin. Romans 6, 23 teaches us this for the wages of sin is death 
But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so it's sad that most people do not find out about the true horrors of sin until it's far too late. Number two, the next thing I see is the absolute holiness and the inflexible justice of God. In Proverbs 11:31, the scripture says this, Behold, the righteous shall be recompensed in the earth much more the wicked and the sinner. So keep in mind, God will never excuse sin. He will never become flexible to it. He will never compromise with it. The only thing that God can ever do with sin, he can either judge it or he can forgive it. People today are losing the importance of the holiness of God. God is so holy that the writers, especially the writers in the Old Testament, whenever they got to the name Jehovah, they would lay their pen down and they would go and bathe from the top of their head to the sole of their feet. They'd come back, they'd put fresh clothes on, and they begin to write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And they got to the name Jehovah, they would do it again. That's how holy these brethren, these writers of Scripture felt about the even just the name of God. Because of sin and because God is holy on the cross, God could not look at the blood-stained eyes of his only begotten son because he was bearing the sin weight of the world and that broke the heart of Jesus. There is no doubt that he uttered these words, Jesus, in complete devastation. In fact, when Jesus spoke these words, it was a question that nobody at the cross could explain. John couldn't answer it. Mary couldn't answer it. Jesus was being forsaken by God because Jesus was enduring sin's terrible judgment. And at the cross, God's justice was satisfied and his holiness was vindicated. Number three, quickly. We also see the explanation of Gethsemane. In the infancy of Jesus, the scripture tells us that he suffered at the hands of evil, wicked men in the ministry of Jesus, he suffered at the evil, wicked hands of men. But on the cross, he suffered in the hands of God. Jesus knew this would be a part of the crucifixion. In Matthew 26, I want you to see this scripture. They'll get them on the screen for you quickly, but I want you to see something in scripture today. Matthew 26, I want you to look at verse 36 through 39. Then cometh Jesus with them, his disciples, unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and two sons Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. From the point of his humanity, he knew he was going to face barbaric cruelty on the cross. Jesus knew that he was going to be forsaken by God, and there was no doubt the greatest weight on his shoulders. He was saying, Father, if there is any other way, 
if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. And I will be sharing this on Wednesday because on no doubt there will be a lot of people here that I don't know and they don't know me, but when they leave here, they will at least have heard the message of the cross, the message of Jesus. And I will tell you this, Jesus knew, the Father confirmed that there was no other way, that Jesus was the only way. I ask you this question, if there was another way, would God the Father, had, would, he have, would he subject his only son to this? If there was any other way? Absolutely not. Number four, we see the savers unsevering fidelity to God. In John chapter 5, verse number 20, the Bible says, For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. And spot, right on spot, you think about this thing just for a minute. How could God just put Jesus through this cruelty? How could God let it go on? But in spite of it all, Jesus never lost confidence in God. Yes, this was a cry of distress, but it certainly was not a cry of distrust. That ought to make us ashamed of ourselves when it comes down to little bumps in the road, what little it takes for us to get discouraged. You know, there's an old song people have been singing for years. It's entitled The Old Rugged Cross. Most of you know the words by heart. But to some people, the old rugged cross, picking up the cross daily and following Jesus, people, people don't have much trouble with it as long as the old rugged cross requires no sacrifice, as long as it doesn't give them any heartache or broken dreams or struggle. People don't mind wearing a cross around their neck. People don't mind wearing the cross on their bracelets. People don't mind putting a picture of the cross on their wall or people don't mind putting a steeple of the cross on top of the church house. But when you talk about taking up the cross and following him, oh, then that matters a great deal to some. But Jesus said, take up the cross and follow me. Number five, I want us to see the basis of our salvation. The truth of the matter is this. We don't have to pay money to be saved. We don't have to go to Mecca three times a year to be saved. We don't have to climb holy mountains to be saved. The blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient for all. Just the mention of his name, you call upon his name in repentance and confession and according to the word of God, he will come in and redeem you, pardon you, set you free. Amen. Now, I want us to look at this as our musicians come forward this morning, and I want to close with this point today. The last thing I see is the supreme evidence of Christ's love for us. In John chapter 15, verse number 13, the Bible says, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. He suffered for us. He was made sin for us. He was forsaken by God for us. Jesus was separated from God for three hours on the cross for us. And when I think of what Jesus did for me, what he 
did for you, it ought to make us ashamed of ourselves when we think and compare what little we do for him. Thank God for the blood and for forgiveness and for heaven. Millions are separated from him today, and without Christ, that will happen to you. I want to leave you one last scripture this morning. It's found in Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 15, and it's a soul-searching scripture. It's something that you need to give every ounce of your attention to. Give it all of your consideration. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart and your life. This scripture says this, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I'm asking you today, friend, is your name in the book of life? Well, preacher, my name's always been there. No, it hasn't. Well, preacher, I, I, I'm not a thief. I'm not immoral. I give money to charities. Isn't that good enough? No, it's not. You might say, well, preacher, I try to go to church every now and then. I have a Bible. Well, that put my name in the book. Absolutely not. You see, Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. There's only one way you can get your name in the book. And if it's not in the book, you will have everlasting, eternal consequences. Only one way to get your name in the book. And that is to realize this, Jesus came to seek and to save. We're all sinners. We were born in sin. We live in sin. And we will die, if you know Christ, we will die as a redeemed sinner saved by grace. We will always be sinful people until we are given a glorified body and brought into his own presence. If you don't know Christ, friend, if you cannot, with affirmation, testify that your name is in the book, look at these consequences. You don't, you don't get in the book by burning candles, doing charity work. You get your name in the book by giving your heart to Christ. I beg you today, if you don't know him, there's only one way to make this happen, and that is to let him come into your heart and to be your Savior. You were not born that way. And no money and good works will help you to get this way. You have to know Jesus. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, Visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.